Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. Welcome to week number two of our series, Your Best Yes. And I'm so thankful for those of you in the room because you woke up this morning and you said yes to coming to church in person. You got up, you got those warm clothes on, you got in your car, you prayed that it would warm up. Those of you who are blessed beyond blessed, you turned on your little heated seats and you drove here to church and you made it. And, and, and I'm so thankful you said yes. Now there's others who woke up this morning and they said yes to church online and we welcome them online. They're still at home in their pajamas. They got their Keurig coffee and they're warm. They're nestled up by their fireplace and they're just worshiping Jesus there. And so no matter how you chose to worship today in person or online, I'm just excited that we're saying yes to putting Jesus first at the beginning of our week. This is the week that the Lord's made, not just the day. And we want to start this beginning of this new week before we enter into to the work week by saying, God, you're number one. I prioritize you. I recenter my life on who you are. And so here's the truth of the matter in this series, and this is kind of where we're going to be going, is that every single day we have the opportunity to say yes to a lot of things, which also means we have the opportunity to say no, but we're kind of focusing on your best yes. And we if we're going to live the best life, if we're going to live the life that God's created us to live, we need to be discerning. We need to use wisdom as to what it is that we are saying yes to in our life. And what I'm going to try to convince you of last week, this week, next week, and the following week, and really every week, is that your best yes that you have to offer in life is when you say yes to God. That when God speaks, that when God reveals himself, that when you sense God is guiding you, the best thing that you can do is to say yes to him. And that is going to move your life in a better direction, a new direction, a direction that's going to find fruitfulness, it's going to find fulfillment, that's actually not going to be just about you, but it's going to make an impact in other people's lives. But as I said, we have a lot of opportunities to say yes. In fact, Cornell University did some research, and they estimate that we make 226.7 decisions every day on food alone. <laughs> That's a lot of decisions. In fact, there's some other resources that I was reading about online that said that uh, the average person, you may not believe this, makes an eye-popping 35,000 choices per day. And with all of this new research, it's no wonder that we have psychologists and, 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 and psychiatrists who are talking about decision fatigue. Anybody heard that term before? The idea is that we experience decision fatigue because we're making so many decisions that throughout the course of the day, as the day goes on, our ability to make good decisions worsens. That we are not as good at making decisions at the end of the workday as we were at the beginning because we're so inundated with so many decisions. And that's why you might read about or hear about people who are trying to reduce the number of decisions they make in their life. They're trying to live a simpler life. Um, some people have just chosen to say, you know what, I'm not going to decide what I wear for clothes anymore. 
They wear the same clothes every single day in order to say that's one less decision I need to make. I know you all, as I look through this audience, are big Dr. Dre fans. He wears the same shoes every single day. It's Nike Air Force Ones. Barack Obama, did you know that he only wears gray or blue suits? He has reduced the decision-making process to just two things. And we all kind of remember the late Steve Jobs in his black turtleneck, his jeans, and his New Balance sneakers. He just wore the same thing every day in order to try to avoid decision fatigue. And now, I don't know if you've tried to automate your life to where you're making fewer decisions, but all of us are facing decisions every single day, and it's imperative that we don't just go through life but that we slow down and we actually think about the decisions we're making. And, and maybe nobody's told you this since you were a child, but I'm here to remind you that choices have consequences. Everybody remember this? We don't like this truth. We would like this not to be true, but we all know it's true. That every choice that we make, whether it's a good choice or a bad choice, has a consequences, and consequences come in all shapes and sizes, right? Not all consequences are bad. Not all consequences are good. We have a lot of variety in the choices we make and the consequences that they bring. But every choice that we make has a consequence. Now, every choice has a consequence. All right, well, let that sit there. I recognize that that's true. But here's the other truth, since we're in church, that we need to talk about. And we don't tend to consciously think about this. If, if you're a Christian, you believe this, but you don't like, it doesn't set at the forefront of your thought. Like it's kind of in the back of your mind. And, and that is this, is that there is a battle being fought for your soul. All right, so choices have consequences, but now wait a second, I'm actually inside of a battle for my soul, the eternal part of me and where it will spend eternity. There is a battle being waged for it and the decision I make has a consequence that has eternal implications. The choice that I say, whatever's coming at me, what I'm choosing to say yes to is putting me into one of two kingdoms that are vying for my soul. And what are these two kingdoms? We're going to talk about this for a minute. There is, of course, the kingdom of light, which is also known as the kingdom of God. It's the place that God's the king. We're good on that one. All right, then we have the kingdom of, of this world. It's also known as the kingdom of, of darkness. It's where Satan and the demons, right, they live in this space. We have these two kingdoms, and these kingdoms are vying for our soul. Now, you say, well, why is there a battle for my soul? Why would these spiritual, unseen uh, kingdoms and powers, why would they care anything about me? Well, well, we have to know the story. So let me remind you of the story. See, here's the thing. God who's the king of the kingdom of God, created us. And he created us to live forever in the kingdom of God. But our first humans that ever walked the earth, our our greatest ancestors, they were placed in right relationship with God in the Garden of Eden. It was perfect. Life was good. And they said, you know what? I don't want to be a part of this kingdom. I want to be a part of this kingdom. They, they listened to a different voice than the king of that kingdom. They listened to the king of this kingdom, which was the serpent, which was Satan. And they refused God's plan for the kingdom of this world. And the reason that there's a battle for us is because our God didn't say, well, good riddance with you. 
Our God said it's not good for you to be there. I created you to live in harmony with me. The best thing for you, what you were designed for, is not there, it's here. And although you've rejected me, although you've committed treason against the kingdom of God, I'm not going to excommunicate you from the kingdom forever. Instead, I'm going to create a pathway for you to come back, but you have to say yes. You have to return. And so what was the great rescue plan? Jesus. Some of you are like, is Jesus the right answer? Yes, we're in church. Jesus is the right answer. Even if it's not the right answer, it has to be the right answer because Jesus is the answer. Jesus. So who's Jesus? Well, John 3.16. We know this verse. For God so loved the world. That would be us. That he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him and say yes to him might not perish with the kingdom of, of this world, th- th- this kingdom's not going to last forever. It's temporary. It's going to have an eternal destination that's not where you want to go. Not that you can stay here. He- he's created a way for you to not perish, but instead to be reunited with the kingdom of God and to have life without end, eternal life, what you were built for. We were created to live with God forever. The problem, the challenge that we have is that, that we kind of like the kingdom of this world. We're kind of a fan of it. Because in the kingdom of this world, I get to sit on the throne of my life. I get to call the shots. I get to make decisions that make me feel good. And, and, and that doesn't fly in the kingdom of God because God says, I'm the king. And you are designed not to be the king. Life doesn't turn out for you well. And some of you are like, I know, I've experienced life not turning out well for me. And it's when he's on the throne that we find our rightful place that we're able to actually live to the full. See, we've believed a lie that sitting on the throne of our life is the ultimate goal. Man, that's like my American dream. I call the shots. And God's like, no, you were never designed to call the shots. You are designed to live in relationship to me. And true fulfillment's found here. I know it's backwards from what you think, but that's kind of the kingdom of God. It's the upside down kingdom. What you think is important is not really important here. That's why Jesus said things like, yeah, over here the first will be last and the last will be first. And we're like, that don't make any sense. He's like, I know. That's because you're still trying to settle on the throne and be number one. But if you get into my kingdom, it's a whole different ballgame. See, our souls are in this tension and in this tug of war battle between what are we going to say yes to? Are we going to say yes to God? Are we going to say yes to the kingdom of this world? And we hold the power of this choice. Now, the kingdom of this world is really good about alluring us into it because these kingdoms, I want you to know, they're directly in opposition to one another. These two kingdoms don't share any communion together. They are contrary to one another, and they will always differ. They will not be a merging of these two. They will always remain separate. And so this kingdom of, of, of Satan, of darkness, yeah, it's, it's a, a kingdom that we could say is full of spiritual darkness, of frustration, of hopelessness, where the kingdom of God is, is one of light, one of joy, one of hope. But, but the allure of the kingdom of this world, because you're like, well, I don't like the dark. I don't like all that stuff. Well, here's, here's what the kingdom of darkness does. And we'll put this verse up in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. It says that for everything in the world, it, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It comes not from the Father, but from the world. 
And the world and its desires, they pass away. They're temporary. They're not going to last forever. But whoever does the will of God, they live forever. What's the allure of the kingdom of this world? Three things. The lust of the flesh. What is the lust of the flesh? Well, our flesh is how we have our five senses that we're able to relate and connect to things. And the lust of the flesh is believing that through sensual, through my senses, I can experience the best of life. Okay, we also have the lust of the eyes. Well, what is the lust of the eyes? How about materialism? How about money? How about all the ads that we saw last night during the Chiefs and Dolphins game? That if you would have this product, if you would have this car, if you would have this subscription, if you would just bet your money through this thing, you will have happiness. Oh, the lust of the eyes, I want that. There's going to be fulfillment there. Once I have those things, yeah. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and of course, there's the pride of life, which is this idea that we can gain significance through, through our competency, through our power and through our control, that the more I'm able to have that, that's the pride of life, that, that that's what life's all about. See, see God desires for, for humanity to live forever. He doesn't desire this temporary life that ends with eternal consequences that are not in our benefit. He desires for us to be united with him forever, and that's the good news. One way to think about the gospel, right? Gospel means good news. Here, here's one way to think about it. We'll put four words up here, and this might be helpful for you. That the gospel is that there is God. He is perfect. He is holy. He is righteous. And he created mankind, man. But man decided he did not want God's best. And so he stepped out of God's grace. But God so loved man that he sent Christ in order to redeem him, to bring him back into the family. And for you and I, we are faced with our response Will we say yes to the invitation God has said or no? Okay, that's pretty good, right? You guys remember that. What's the gospel? God, me, and Christ's response. Now, I like that. I like better this four words, which is creation, that God is the creator of all things. He created humanity, and, and humanity fell. We, we introduced sin. We, we embraced this other kingdom than the kingdom of God, but God loved us so much that he sent Jesus on a mission to redeem us, right? The idea being that we are slaves over here, and that even if we wanted to go over there, we couldn't go on our own, but because of Jesus, there is a way for us to have this debt paid off and us be repurchased and be brought into the family of God. And now that we're here, we're working in God's kingdom to restore things back to God's original intent. I, I like that because it doesn't end with redemption, but we still have activity here. We're not just waiting to die to go to heaven, but we're in an active process of restoration of God making things new, not only in us, but through us making things new in the world. But I do like the first one too, because it ends with this response. And in the series in which we're talking about your best yes, we have to have a response. And there's no redemption in that second line without a response from you. So I've been recently, um, you, you guys probably don't care, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, I'm a big fan of Spotify. Any Spotify fans out there? Okay, yeah, there's a few of you. I, I like Spotify. You know what Spotify started to do? They have audiobooks now. 
It's so great. They're free. You can listen to all these audiobooks. You don't have to go into your Audible subscription anymore. Get rid of that. Just get on Spotify. It's great. And for those of you who are super cheap and you're like, I'm not paying for Spotify Premium, it's cool. You can go to the public library and you can actually check out audiobooks. Some of your minds just got blown, but that's the world we live in. So anyway, we're moving on. Anyway, I've been listening to uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Anybody heard that? The book came out in like the late 80s. Uh, it was kind of a significant one. They've had a lot of books that have came off of it. You know, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective Parents, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective, you know, dogs. They just have all these books that continue to come out about seven habits, and it's kind of fun. So I've been listening to it, and uh, Stephen Covey, um, his whole thing in the book is that these principles are, are life principles, and the reason that they are principles that exist is because there's a God who created us, and he created the world to live with these natural laws. So kind of interesting that he does have a spiritual emphasis, but the whole book isn't positioned from that point of view. But at the end of the book, he started talking about these two words, and, and it kind of piqued my curiosity. He talks about stimulus, that there's things that will happen in our life, a stimuli that will, will cause us to get our attention. There's something that we're going to need to deal with, but there's a space in between the, the stimulus and our response to the stimulus, that this thing happens and now I have an opportunity to respond to it. And, and, and there's that space that exists in between the stimulus and my response. And that space represents our free will. It's our ability to choose what we're going to do. That guy doesn't know how to drive in the snow, and he keeps turning his hazards on and cutting me off. There's the stimulus. I'm in the space. How will I respond to him? Well, some of us have some tendencies that aren't so good in the space right? And some of you know this, like on the extreme side, there's some of us that we're just kind of quick to anger. We're impulsive. We don't spend a lot of time in the space. We kind of underthink things. We're emotional and, and, and we just respond like, ah. And then there's others of us that are just the opposite. We're, we're slow to act. We procrastinate. This thing happened and you know, there's an opportunity for you to get a promotion at work. And well, I don't know, should I take it? Should I not take it? And we overthink it. And we suffer from analysis paralysis. Like, I just don't know. What if I take it and it doesn't work out? What about this? What about the benefits? But what about, uh, yeah, maybe I'll find out what you think. What do you think about this? I we, we all are one of the other. We, we, we live in that spectrum of extremes. And, and so these things occur in our life. And there's this space in which we've got to determine how we're going to respond. The point of this series is to say, while we're in the space, how do we discern and find wisdom on what we say yes to and what we say no to, right? And so, so what I'm trying to get us to is the fact that, that we serve a God who's the kingdom of this, this kingdom of God that he is trying to speak to you. He's trying to communicate with you. If you are living in the kingdom of the world, he's trying to say, hey, You've got, there's a better place for you. Come over here. He wants you to say yes to coming into the kingdom of God. But, but some of you are like, yeah, I did that. I, I said yes, I'm in the kingdom of God. Everything's good, you know, peace. <laughs> but, but just because you're here doesn't mean God's done talking to you. It doesn't mean God's done guiding you. Like while you're here, some of you are like, well, I'm good. You've stopped listening to the voice of God. And he is still speaking to you here. The stimulus is happening, but you're unaware. You're just caught up with the cares and concerns that we're caring and concerning about you over there. 
he's still speaking. He's still trying to guide you. What do we do in this in-between time? Well, last week, like Missy said, we, we looked at the story of Samuel and Eli. It's a story in the Old Testament. And, and Samuel was dedicated to the Lord. He's living in the house of the Lord. And so he's, he's kind of being raised by this older man who wasn't his father, but he was the priest. His name was Eli. And, and, and the young man, Samuel, hears God speaking to him, calling his name, but he doesn't know that it's God. He doesn't know that the stimulus that's coming is God. He just thinks that Eli's calling him. And so he goes and he's like, yeah, Eli, I heard you calling me. He's like, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So he goes back to bed. And he hears it again. He goes back in there. Hey, you called me. No, it wasn't me. Go back to bed. He goes back to bed a third time. Like I said last week, this is where Samuel's better than me. I would have just stayed in bed and been like, it must not be him. I will ignore it. Kind of like when my kid cries and I'm like, I hope my wife wakes up. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, I, I would have stayed there. You know, I wouldn't have gone. But Samuel's better than me. He went back to Eli and he's like, hey, I heard you call my name. <laughs> and Eli was the one who said, listen, Samuel, I didn't call your name. I believe God is speaking to you. When you go back, simply say this. Say, speak, Lord for your servant is listening. Eli unlocked for Samuel what it was he was hearing, the stimulus that he had in his life. He didn't know that it was God, but through the influence, through the counsel, through the wisdom of the leaders in his life, he was able to then discern the voice of God. And then he was found in the space. He had to choose how he was going to respond to what God was calling him to do. We are all in that same place. As a church leader, as a pastor, I believe God is speaking to some of you, but you don't understand. You don't discern that it's his voice. And the problem is, is that you're not coming and talking to me. You're talking to other people who are close to Jesus, who can help you to know that that's God who's moving in your life that you're ignorant of. What if we move from this place of ignorance into recognizing the voice of God so that we could respond? What if we stop just going through life wondering why God seems so distant? No, God is moving. You're just not recognizing it. We have to be humble enough to allow people to speak into our lives. In order for that to happen, it requires relationship. Samuel would have never gone to Eli had he not had a previous relationship with him. The problem with some people is that they think that they can grow spiritually by listening to just a podcast and YouTube videos. You don't know those people, and those people don't know you. You can't talk to them, and they can't speak into your life. God has set things up to work locally. We can be influenced and have great things that come and insights from others, but there's something about the local church being able to function as a community in which we know one another, and from true relationship, true ministry can flow. And we desire to be a church where relationship occurs and ministry can flow. And I'll be honest, not everybody wants that. Some people want to go to church to where nobody knows me. I don't want relationship. I just want to come in, get my dose of Jesus, and leave. Well, this isn't the church for you because I care too much about you to let you just be a consumer of spiritual sermons. God wants to change your life. He wants to speak directly to you. He has a plan for you, and you're not hearing him, and I'm here to help you to hear him so you can go the direction that he has for you. Samuel heard God's voice but needed help discerning who was speaking to him. That's where Eli was. And I'll go ahead and make this available to you. 
If you're here and you're like, man, I don't know you very well, Pastor Alex. I like listening to you. You seem fun. I would say thank you. I am pretty fun. <laughs> but there's not a lot of opportunity for us to have relationship. It's pretty one-sided. Like we sat here and you can kind of get to know me, but I don't really get to know you very well at all. And I love that we have small groups. We do those a couple times a year, and it's an opportunity for you to get connected with people and have relationship and to be prayed for. But if you have questions, you have things you're like, I don't know what God's doing in my life, and you want to find out, and you're like, I don't know, you're just, you know, it might be weird. Like, I would always go and grab coffee with you. Even if I don't like coffee, I'll get it, and I'll drink it, and I'll hear your story. And I can tell you this, before I meet with you, I will have prayed and asked for God's guidance to help me to know what to say to you. And you say, oh, that's too intimidating. I don't want to go sit down over coffee with you. Cool. There's this thing called texting. You can text me. We'll put it on the screen. It's real easy. Text 816-734-5700. And I will get that text, and I will respond to you. And if you have questions, and you're like, you know what? I'm living in the kingdom of the world. And I sense that God wants me to go over there, but I've got some intellectual challenges to get there. Or I don't exactly know how to get there. I got some questions that I need to answer here. I want to move in that direction, but I first need to get some questions answered. Well, ask the questions. Don't stay here any longer than you need to. This isn't good for you. Text me. Now, I'm not going to have an answer to every question. Sorry, I wish I did. I will try to find an answer. But you know what? You may bring a situation, you may bring a question, and here's the best I got, is that I'll stand in the gap of your question and the answer, and I'll be praying with you. I'll be standing there. I'll be encouraging you to live a life of faith, not a life of sight. But you won't be alone in your question. I can offer that at least. So how are we going to move forward? There's a stimulus. The stimulus, I believe, that I want you to recognize in your life is that God is speaking to you. There's a space before the response. How are you going to respond in that space? So our Bible story for the day, we're going to close with this story, is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. This is uh, your historic uh, Christmas text. This is where the Annunciation takes place. You're like, what's that? That's when the angel Gabriel shows up and speaks to Mary about his redemption plan to send Jesus to earth in order to redeem lost humanity. And so she has a choice. The stimulus for her is going to come through an angel named Gabriel. And she's going to find herself in a space that she gets to make a choice, whether or not she's going to participate in God's plan or not. So let's check out the story, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38. We will read it through here we go. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that was someone who was related to Mary, but that's what previously in this chapter we were talking about this older woman who was pregnant. In the sixth month of her pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of David, and the virgin name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, if you can imagine, that's weird. Can you imagine an angel showing up and greeting you? Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this was. But the angel said to her, recognizing that the greeting was not well received, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. 
you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. There's the stimulus. How will Mary respond? Some of us have heard this story so often, we're like, well, yeah, she's just going to say, yeah. Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Mary answered, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. God asked Mary to be a part of his redemption plan for the world. And Mary said yes. And you and I should be thankful that she did. But here's the point of the message. God is asking you to play a part in his redemption plan for the world. The question is, will you say yes? Because there are people in this world who will be thankful one day if you say yes. As a Christian, you cannot reject supernatural occurrences. Uh, In case you didn't know, our entire faith is predicated on supernatural occurrences. You're like, I don't know if God's going to really move and speak in my life. Hey, this is what our whole faith is about. We just read about an angel showing up and speaking to a virgin and saying, you're going to have a baby. You're like, that's kind of weird. Welcome to our faith. Here's what's interesting. When we take a look at this, and, and, and this is going to be true for you too, is that when, when God shows up and God reveals himself to you, when God lets you know his will, what his plan is, What he's essentially doing is saying, here is my agenda. This is God's agenda. And when God's agenda shows up, it's always in conflict with my agenda. There's God's agenda. Hey, you're going to have a baby and it's going to change the world. But then there's my agenda. We don't tend to think about this very often. But Mary had her own agenda. She wasn't just, you know, dim-witted and no plans for her life. Don't forget She was going to get married. She already found the guy. He put a ring on it. They're engaged. They're going to have a life together. They're dreaming about what they're going to do, where they're going to live, what life's going to be like. She's planning the wedding. She even already said yes, yes to the dress. She's ready. (laughs) And then God shows up and says, hey, I got a plan. Here's my agenda. Here's... Here's three outcomes that are going to happen when God reveals himself, okay? This is, you can take some notes on this. This is good. My agenda versus God's agenda, three outcomes. Number one is that you reject God's agenda, and you hang on to my agenda. You know, Mary could have said, uh, no, I got a wedding. I'm engaged. I'm, I've already got plans, and your plans aren't a part of my plans. She could have rejected God's agenda. Number two, and this is a temptation that I have a lot of times, is I want to merge. 
I want to merge God's agenda with mine. We'll make a new baby agenda together. Like we won't, we won't do yours or mine. We'll do something different, right? And in the merge, it's where I really kind of hang on to my agenda and I try to add God to it. See, Mary could have thought, okay, angel Gabriel, God's going to bring a savior of the world named Jesus through my womb. I got you. I'm so looking forward to marrying Joseph, and Joseph will impregnate me. I know that I'm not going to be barren. We're going to have a special child who's going to do great things. We never think about the fact that she initially did not think about the baby being promised to her would not be the product of her and Joseph. Instead, she starts with this question, how can a virgin give birth? Have you ever thought about how wild that thought is? We just read previously in this chapter about a dude named Zechariah who's old, and the angel, Gabriel, the same one, showed up to him and said, hey, you're going to have a baby. And he didn't assume that he was going to have a baby. He assumed his wife Elizabeth was going to have a baby. Do you know why he assumed that? Because men don't have babies. (laughs) Fast forward in the chapter, the angel shows up to Mary and says, you're going to have a baby. Why did she not assume her baby would come from her marriage. Because just like men don't have babies, virgins don't have babies either. It's not a thing. But she's like, oh, okay, like, I'm going to have a baby, but how's that going to happen? Like, what a, what a wild question. She didn't disbelieve God. She just needed a clarifying question because I don't know how something impossible is possible. And the angel answered, providing more information and a powerful word of encouragement that essentially nothing will be impossible with God. Mary could have tried to merge what God wanted with her plans, but she didn't do that. Instead, she did the third thing, which is what we all need to do, which is where we replace my agenda with God's agenda. There's a surrender. I give mine up and embrace his. I I like what Matthew Henry says about this text. He says that she, Mary, objects not to the danger of spoiling her marriage and blemishing her reputation, but leaves the issue with God and submits entirely to his will. She is not only content that it should be so, but humbly desires that it may be so. Man, that's a place for us to be. There's something for us to learn here as our response to God as we say yes. God asked Mary to play a part of his redemption plan for the world. She said, yes, God's asking you and I to play a part in his redemption plan for the world. Will you say yes? As we find ourselves in the space between the stimulus and the response, Jesus encouraged us to weigh the cost, to consider what it would mean to say yes to God. He doesn't want a rash decision, an emotional decision, something that you're going to change your mind on tomorrow. He wants you to process and consider what you're choosing to do. It's not just emotional. No, I am choosing with my will that I will follow Jesus. And as Mary taught us, it's okay to pause and ask some clarifying questions of God and involve leaders in our lives. Mary asked the angel some questions. And in last week's story, Samuel asked Eli some questions. And if you have questions, you need to ask them so you can move in the direction God's leading you. And salvation, this idea of stepping over the line of faith, that's the primary stimulus God wants from us. That's what we tend to think about. Like, 
I was lost, now I'm saved. Yes, that's what God desires. But even once you're saved, he still has more for you. He's not done speaking. And sometimes it's not huge what God's trying to lead us to. Sometimes we're just simply asked to serve or befriend a neighbor or ask a coworker to lunch or to stop gossip from continuing to spread or, or just to give anonymously to someone. If you're a Christian, I want to encourage you to ask God what he's telling you now, not just what he said in your past. And so for me, here's what I try to practice, uh, and it may sound weird to you, but I like to remain curious. I like to remain curious. Is, is that maybe God speaking to me? I like to ask that question. Is that maybe God moving in my life? I'm going to face it with discernment. I'm going to use wisdom. But I want to be alert, looking for how God might be moving me. Because when I'm not curious, it's like the radio's off. There may be radio signals entering the vehicle, but they ain't being picked up. I want to remain curious to what God might be doing. And with a curious heart, it positions me to be attentive to what God might be doing in my life. So as we wrap up today, if you're here and, and you have been living in this kingdom of the world, you've been living in darkness and you know that there's a better path for you, you know that God loves you, you know that Jesus sent his son to forgive you for sitting on the throne of your own life and to welcome you into the kingdom, but you've never stepped over that line of faith, I would just encourage you to pray this today. Just say, God, I, I give you my life. I, I, I'm not going to do it on my own anymore. God, you can forgive me of these things. I, I, I choose to surrender my agenda, and God, I, I want to embrace your agenda for my life. I'm not going to try to merge them. I, I, I want to surrender. I want to replace my agenda with yours. If that's you, man, just, you can pray that prayer right now. Just, God, I give you my life. I want to never be the same again. I want to recognize that you're the king, and God, I want you to, to help me to know how to think in this world. God, I want you to lead me and guide me. I want to hear how it is that I'm supposed to live. God, please guide my life. If you've never stepped over the line of faith, today can be your day. And for those of you who are over here and you've said, I've done that, are you remaining curious? Are you open to what God's saying to you now? Because 2024, it's not to be a repeat of 2023. God's wanting to do something new in your life. So God, as you know, every person in this room, every person watching online, every person that's heard this message, God, I believe your Holy Spirit has been active. God, that you're already impressing upon people's hearts, the message that you have for them. For those who have been walking in darkness, who are desiring to step into your kingdom, Lord, I pray that you would hear them as they say, God, I give you my life. And Lord, I know that when that's a genuine prayer, that the angels in heaven stop what they're doing and they celebrate because there is one who is lost, who has now been found, that the family of God has just grown. And so Lord, we celebrate with them who are stepping over that line of faith. And for those who are here who have already put their faith and their trust in you, but maybe for whatever reason have not been attuned to your voice. They've not been paying attention to what it is that you're saying. I pray that today would be a day that as they are in between the stimulus and the response, that they would choose to respond to you, that they would recognize your voice and respond with their best yes. I thank you, God for never giving up on us. I thank you for your great patience with us. And I thank you, God, that you know better than us and you don't keep it a secret. 
you help us to know how to live this life to the full. We embrace your agenda for our lives, and we move forward with you on the throne. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.